0: Welcome back to the Healing with Zenodyme podcast. Today we're actually going to speak with a team member, Tina Gary. She is one of our ceremonial leaders and an all-around interesting person. We're going to talk about shadow work, manifesting, and waking up into becoming a healer. I give you Tina Gary. So you do a lot of shadow work. Why don't you just tell me what shadow work is?
1: So shadow work for me is when you sit with everything that comes up all the uncomfortable feelings everything that feels difficult and you you go within so for me that means allowing everything to surface and allowing all the wounds anything especially from childhood to come up and you sit with that and you really get to the to the root of it the root cause of what is triggering you
0: Hmm. So it's called shadow work because you're always tailing around your shadow without thinking about it too much, and this is kind of turning around and really sitting with the stuff that you're carrying with you.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, you're definitely, what you're doing is you're you're sitting with the shadow and you're not avoiding it, you're not running from it, you're sitting face-to-face with your shadow, um, allowing what's been illuminated to fully surface and come up. And, um, you know, for me, that's been one of the biggest tools for my growth, the journey I've been on, um, self-realization out of illusion. And it's been very, very helpful.
0: Mm. So what are some techniques? Let's say I want to start doing shadow work. Where do I start?
1: So where you start is for me, I journal a lot. So I free form, right? Meaning if I'm triggered, I will write why I'm triggered. Every emotion that's coming up. I'll keep writing until I feel a shift within. Um, that's been a big help for me as journaling. And I also look at what's triggering me. And instead of viewing it at the surface level, I go deeper and it's really sitting with that uncomfortable feeling mm-hmm. where there's discomfort. You have to go past that.
0: I like what you said about journaling until you feel the shift that, to me, is, is the whole thing, because I've been talking a lot recently about making practice fun as a tool to make sure you keep showing up on the mat and do the work that you're supposed to do. And I think one of the things that about shadow work, if you're talking to someone about it, it is inherently uncomfortable, you know. And I think developing a practice that has you continually coming back to something uncomfortable you do need to get over a hump to get some sort of release in there, you know, like just journaling about what's making you feel triggered or, you know, make you feel anxiety or whatever you're feeling and stopping before you feel the shift seems like that could, that could almost cause just more anxiety, you know? Yeah. Is that your experience?
1: Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. Um, and I feel like I recycle the same thing. So I'll keep journaling about the same thing because I haven't shifted. I haven't felt, you know, I haven't gotten to the, the root cause of it. And so yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and afterwards, I burn <laughs> what it is that I write, meaning I I let go of it. I release it. And I so there's space within for new things to enter. Um, and I because I don't want to reread something that's, gonna put the same feelings back in my body back in you know
0: yeah that's smart and it sounds like a nice ceremony as well yeah actually yeah i could see myself doing that all right so i will start journaling to do my shadow work what else should i do
1: so it is sitting in complete solitude for me that means no distractions what distracts you if you, you know music your phone eating whatever distracts you from fully going within you have to move past that. So, you know, for me, I, I put on music and I drive. And I notice that it's a habit. When I'm triggered, I get in my car and I'll drive and I'll put music on and I will distract myself or, you know, I'll pick up my phone or I'll eat something. And so I've noticed all these habits that I do to avoid fully going within. Um, and so it's letting go of all of that, all your distractions, and fully just sitting with everything that's uncomfortable, every feeling, every emotion and going like diving deep in.
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I was going to say. So one of the things I need to do is think about all the things that distract me. But the list you described, it's almost more like you realize you're doing it in the middle. It's not something that you list out. You just have to kind of wake up and start paying attention for when oh, I'm uncomfortable, I'm going to get a little dopamine hit from checking my phone or eating this little piece of sandwich or whatever. Um, And I actually have... I wasn't thinking about the listening to music in the car as a dopamine hit. I was definitely thinking about it as a distraction already, but it does seem like it would be a dopamine hit. Um, It would also be... It's like something's going on, so you give yourself the freedom to not be actively involved in your mind. You know, you get to kind of shut it off because... I think it's the exact same feeling you get when you flip on the TV. It's like all responsibility for culturing an enjoyable moment for you is out the window. You don't have to do it. Something else is going to do it for you. And that, to me, is one of the ultimate dangers of our society. Like, there's distractions everywhere. But the entertainment one is, it's really a juggernaut, you know. Uh, Even the word contain like tain means to hold on to you know and so like entertain is holding on to of your focus almost like everybody's got their focus in this death grip in our society and it's Mm -hmm. considered a massive success if you go a couple hours without looking at your phone your friend's like oh good job wow you know like that's so absurd (laughs) so how do we help people to do shadow work by limiting their distractions what are some good ways like obviously I'm going to pay attention but what else can I do
1: so um, what I do for my friends is, you know, I, I like to be that container for them. You know, hold sacred space and just give them the advice. Um, we can't physically do the work for them, but we can bring awareness to them. Like if someone comes to us for help, we can be, you know, that awareness that they may not be fully, you know, aware of in themselves. So for me, I... I'll give the I'll share what I've done what's worked for me with people and so I'll you know I I try not to tell people what to do but really solitude you know really being in solitude and just they have to go inward and they have to be ready for it Hmm. to fully you know we can't we could only do so much and um, holding space is one of the biggest things I feel like we can do is be that sacred container for them.
0: I love you using container in a beautiful, positive, sacred way. Uh, It's wonderful because I was thinking about it in terms of entertainment and like, you know, claws almost (laughs) like, I don't want to be contained. Let me be free, you know, but Mm -hmm. a good warm hug really is a nice container.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. So you show up for your friends, obviously. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: You lead by example. And that's, isn't that the way, you know, because... Especially when you're doing something, I mean, leading by example is the best way to teach anything, really. Uh, But when you're doing something that is so difficult personally, doing it in front of other people and talking about it is such a sign of vulnerability that, I mean, in our social world, you do put up walls against all kinds of stuff, including people, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of the quickest way to bring those walls down is to show vulnerability. Yes. So... A form, yeah, I guess. All right, so a form of shadow work is showing vulnerability. There's something in that. I think once you do your shadow work well, then you get to start showing vulnerability, you know. So once you do your shadow work, then you can show vulnerability, and then you can start building conscious relationships. <laughs> so I am going to start a relationship with a new person. How do I go about Culturing a conscious relationship with that person.
1: Um, So, my my thing, what I've learned um, from my experience is has been um, when you're in a good place, you know, you've done your shadow work. You're you're still you don't have to be at this like there's no X marks the spot of where you need to be. But when you're not looking to fill a void with somebody, you're not looking for love outside of yourself. That's a good place to start Um, because when we look for love externally. And we're looking to fill a void that's when we repeat the same karmic cycles and we're not fully aware of what void we are so the shadow work really does help f- figure out what the voids are um and so with the conscious relationship you know we're able to use that person as like a reflection as a mirror and um that's how we really grow like There's so much growth with relationships. You know, any relationship that we have with our friends, with our family, with a, you know, a partner, with our children, it's such a huge, you know, everyone's a mirror for us Mm -hmm. if we look at it that way.
0: And we end up being mirrors for them. Yes. And so if you come into the relationship looking for love externally, then you end up placing expectations on someone. And then you're, would you go so far as to say you're being a poor mirror for them?
1: Um... I feel like it would just be a lot of unconsciousness um, because, I mean, you're still being, what's happening is they're still going to reflect back your wounds. Oh, yeah. um, you may not fully be aware of it, but I feel like a lot of times we, we get in this like victim mentality when we're, you know, looking for something, validation, anything externally, um, because we're placing all of our power in the other person. Mm. And so we're kind of, it gets us in that like victim victim consciousness that, you know, powerless and we're maybe unable to be fully aware of what's going on.
0: So I've been talking a lot about the eightfold path of yoga recently, Mm -hmm. and it's just been a real treat because I've heard the yoga, the word yoga, geez, thousands and thousands of times, and it's never made more sense to me than it does after studying the eightfold path, you know. Um, Basically, it says you start with practicing nonviolence and truthfulness and non-stealing non-attachment that's all things to the external world and then you move on to purity cleanliness of mind and body optimism for self uh study and introspection that's basically taking care of the inside Mm -hmm. you know and then you move on to the asanas the postures the thing that everybody in our western world thinks is the whole summation of yoga you know yeah and after you do this practice of how you greet the world outside practice how you greet the world inside and then you perfect your well you work on your body work on your breath work on your senses concentration and meditation to me that it's called the eightfold path of yoga and the last thing you do is bring it all together to me it's i see it almost as like a geometrical system like a hierarchy of complexity of the self And it starts with this big old box at the beginning, which is pretty easy. And that's how you treat the outside world. Mm -hmm. The next box is a little smaller. And that's how you treat the inside world. And then perfecting the body and the breath control and withdrawal of the senses. And once you get all these boxes stacked on top of each other in good order, you almost get this like pinnacle or pyramid of light at the top of your true self. And it shines real bright. And that's when you have it to me. You know, that's when you have understanding of your relationship in the world, your relationship to the universe, and real comfort in your existence, and I think that's when you're supposed to start a relationship with someone, you know, hopefully someone who has (laughs) stacked their blocks in some similar way, Um, but I've been in a lot of relationships where I have not, neither of us have had that, we've had some nice form of it, you know, I've been on the path of, I guess, self-healing and enlightenment for a while now. And I don't profess to have my pyramid of light in total order, but I do know that I reach it pretty often now. And the way that I am leading myself in my relationships with everybody is completely transformed. It is lighter, easier, more fun, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm still really happy being alone. It's been nice. Okay. Teach me how to manifest.
1: So manifestation um, is—it's something that I've been told that I have the ability to manifest things very quickly, and you know, I don't view it as like luck or anything like that. I'm in the vibrational match for what I want to bring into my reality, and so I'm very conscious of the thoughts I have, and I'm very like aware, you know, self-aware. I feel like. Self-realization, self-awareness is huge when manifesting because we have to be at the exact vibrational match for what we are looking to bring into into our reality. Um, so if you, let's say you're you want more money, um, but you're constantly your, your thoughts aren't and your thoughts aren't in alignment with what you are saying. So you're saying how you, you know, money, you lose money very quickly, and you're constantly complaining about money, you're going to keep manifesting that experience of not having enough money into your reality.
0: Hmm. So one of the things I need to switch is positive self-talk?
1: Yeah, positive self-talk is definitely a huge one. And everything is kind of like in alignment with it. it's not just about your self-talk. It's about, you know, what we put into our body. It's about you know, what we do on a daily basis, the habits we have, um, it all contributes to what we're looking to manifest. Um, And so it's not and it's not something that you could just do one time. It's like a Mm -hmm. lifestyle.
0: Well, so I think there's a way of looking at that as just saying you got to follow the eightfold path and the good stuff will come into your life, you know. So when you think about manifesting, do you see it as kind of perfecting your vessel and then your vessel will just guide you where you want to be or is it like an actual act of will saying I want this and then the universe responds to your will
1: um for me I feel like it's more more so the perfecting my vessel and more being at that vibrational match for what you know what my being aware of what my vibration is what I'm bringing into my reality, um, because I feel like we're constantly manifesting. We may not be aware of what, you know, that we are manifesting, but everything coming into our reality is a form of manifestation of what we're thinking. You know, our thoughts become our actions, you know, and our actions are kind of what really brings forward the things that we are, you know, that we bring to us, good or bad.
0: Absolutely. And I I really do resonate with the um, the perfecting your vessel option. I think the universe responding to your will seems like a, a weaker form of the idea. You mm-hmm. know, the um, perfecting your vessel, especially if you picture a boat on the water and you perfect the vessel so you're giving off or I guess you're experiencing this level of vibration and if the universe is going to respond to you and draw you to a certain place or rather you cut a certain path through the water because of your vibration, Um, if you are being drawn to like vibrations and it's almost like a magnet you know Mm -hmm. pulling you to what you get for being who you are you know yeah I like that very much and so yeah sometimes the the idea of manifesting gets like thrown around without the work behind it you know the Mm -hmm. perfecting following the eightfold path getting your pyramid in order like that to me is real manifesting and the Mm -hmm. whole like Say you want something and, you know, crumple up a piece of paper and you get it. You know, that's always, that's always seemed hollow to me. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I need to manifest some food soon. <laughs> um, so how did you come to the right of womb?
1: I knew it's something that I needed to receive because I had to pass it to as many women as I could. And so that was my intention behind it. Um, it, it just kind of fell in my lap. And, um, yeah, and so I received it. And, you know, it was just such a blessing to receive it. Um, and the, the shaman who passed it down to me, you know, she's this beautiful woman. And I've learned so much from her. Um, and the ceremony was so beautiful. And so... That's just that's something I'm very passionate about, and I feel every single woman, regardless of what age they are, will benefit from it. The right of womb is the thirteenth right of the monarchy. It is um, the the right that all women have. It's to um, release the pain and suffering that we carry in our womb, and to free ourselves from it. And so there's been generations of women um, who have done this. You know and it's just it's such a I feel like such a beautiful thing that connects us all um and so the ceremony itself is when you do receive it um the person giving it will give it to a woman and then that woman who receives it will pass it and give it to another woman and so it's kind of like a domino effect where each woman gets to give it to some you know another woman that's in the circle um and there is more um, to it, like after you receive it. The 13th rite coincides with the moon cycles and the menstrual cycles. There's 13 moon cycles and 13 menstrual cycles. And there is um, the initiation after you receive it of giving your blood back to the earth as an offering. And so... I feel like that is such a sacred way to connect to the earth and I feel like that's something like a lot of taboo that women fear, you know, talking about their menstrual cycles and there's so much um just repression behind it and I feel like it's something that, you know, women don't talk about and they're they're not freely they don't feel comfortable because society has kind of made it like shoved it in this little neat little box and um uh, personally I feel so much connection to my body and I'm able to really like my body is so in sync with the moon cycle and mm. that's that's something that I feel like it's just such a beautiful beautiful thing and um, the monarchy are the shamans in Peru are the ones that founded this and it comes from the jungles in Peru and you know it goes back to you know the lineage of um, yeah, the, the lineages, and it's it's been going on for, like, generations. And, yeah, so it's been just a beautiful thing that I think every woman should um, experience.
0: It sounds really <laughs> beautiful, especially the once you receive the right, then you are bestowed the honor of sharing it with other women. It's really yeah. something. Do you want to talk about waking up into being a shaman or waking up into being a healer?
1: Um. So I feel like with waking up into being a shaman, um, it's kind of like this like deep remembrance of my past lives, like familiar, you know, like even though I, things have just come to me, like I've done things and, you know, certain things, or I've known things that it's just like this deep remembrance when I do finally experience something or I'm around, um, you know, I, I see different things, um. I was able to, do, I did a cleansing on a friend, a purification, and um, we were in a cave. And the stuff that I was doing, I didn't know, I was. I just, it was like this deep guidance to, mm. to do it. And I know it has to do with the shamanic roots of past lives and kind of like waking up to that. Um, so yeah, waking up to being a shaman <laughs> has been just, I feel like just so much gratitude with it. Just, there's so much, um, history. Hmm. And, um, yeah, just, there's just, like, this deep remembrance of, you know, like stuff that I haven't learned yet, but I know how to do. Yeah. You know,
0: I know what you mean. I, uh, I had an experience, I believe I was 22 and, I had a friend come over and I had not seen him since high school, you know, we were never real close, but he came over because he was having a bad time and he knew that I was someone to talk to, you know. Mm -hmm. And I had just written one of my first good songs called The Sunshine Song. I had just written a nice short, a good short story all about connection called A Day in the Life of Blue. And I had just painted my first fractal wave painting. And... I just showed him those pieces of art one at a time and explained why I made them and what they meant to me. And he just started crying um, and just kind of woke up and stopped doing the bad actions that he was doing. And he's just doing great 10 years later, you know. I don't want to take too much credit for it or anything. It's his transformation. But he came to see me, and I gave him something that helped him, healed him. And I have a decent amount of experiences like that. And so I guess just one day I was like, oh, I just I have something to give to people. I haven't called it healing mm-hmm. until we started Senadime Holistic Healing, you know, um, but it's what it is. And it feels feels like there's nothing else to do, to tell you the truth. It's yeah. like that is the work, you know.
1: Yeah. Hmm. I do agree with you about that. That's all that, that. That is the work. And it's just so beautiful being able to give and to share and to give our medicine to people. Yeah. That's why we, you know, that's why we have what we have is to share it.
0: <laughs> Man, I like talking to Tina. As I said before, she's a prominent team member. So if you'd like to talk to Tina as well, you can find us at zenadime.com.